0: Welcome to Hippie Witch! Magic for a new age. I'm your host Joanna DeVoe and this is a happy hippie place where magic with a K meets the law of attraction. Hi, thanks for joining me for episode 205 of Hippie Witch Magic for a New Age. My name is Joanna DeVoe, and I'm the cookie creatrix behind Kickass Switch, putting the K in Magic, and Hippie Witch, the show you are listening to right now. I also have a free ebook by that name, Hippie Witch, Peace, Love, and all that good shit. And you can pick up a copy of that at www.joannadevoe.com or back on the description page for this episode back on blog talk radio. I recommend checking out that description page today especially because I am going to be linking to today's guest. I've already linked. It's already there people. You can just go click on it right now to check out the work of benebelle Wen. That is B E N E B E L L W E N. Benabell Wen. That is today's guest. I'm just calling her Bell because she said I could and uh, it's it's easier for me to pronounce is really the short answer but uh, she is a fascinating 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 woman you are going to love this I guarantee you are going to love this every single one of you she is the author of two books Holistic Tarot and The Tao of Craft she is This is crazy. She is also a corporate attorney working in venture capital. She is also an online reader. She teaches online courses. She has a super kick-ass blog. And she is the kick-ass creatrix of the Metaphysical Planner, which is how I found her. That's how I was introduced to her work and why I became so intrigued by this woman who is so smart. So, 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 so smart. So, I'm just going to stop rambling here so you can hear for yourself what a fascinating, super duper smart, and totally intriguing. I'm going to call her a witch, although I don't think she ever would call herself that. She is an independent metaphysician. But here she is, the kick ass witch, according to me. Benabel Wynn. Yay! Hi, Belle. Welcome to Hippie Witch.
1: Hi Joanna, I'm so happy to be on Hippie Witch.
0: Oh, I am I'm a brand new fan, and what's fascinating is I'm such a book nerd. I am always backed up on books I have to read and books on my wish list, and I have both of your books that have been sitting on my wish list now for a while. And I did not I did not have a connection to the woman behind them. I just saw the cover and I read the description and I was like, "Oh my god, these look amazing." amazing. And then now I'm like fascinated by like who is this woman because I'm using your metaphysical planner and you are truly fascinating. So I can't wait to learn more about you and then go get those books.
1: That's awesome. I'm an old fan. I've been your fan for a very long time. So
0: that just blew my mind when you said that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's tell people the name of your books too so they know we're talking about holistic tarot and Dao is, oh no, I'm forgetting the... It's
1: fine. It's the Tao of craft. So, right. I mean, people these days say the Tao of craft because of the new sort of Chinese um, Pinyin system that is now more uh, dominant. But if you're going back with the Taiwanese system, they still say Tao, but it doesn't matter. Tao, Dao. I'm good with both.
0: Tao, okay. Tao of craft. Um, yes the Tao of craft. I love all things Taoism and I know very little. I, I have gone through the Tao with Wayne Dyer, um, yeah. which is probably like the most Western way you could possibly go through it, but I loved it. And uh, I'm fascinated by Taoist tonic herbs. And so that's why that title really jumped out at me. Um, but it's really about crafting Fu talismans or sigils, right?
1: I would say yes and no. The the fundamentals of it is on teaching what you need to know in terms of the elemental skill set and knowledge for crafting any form of magic in the uh, Chinese Taoist traditions, but the sort of crowning glory in a way of Taoist craft would be the Fu talisman. In the Western tradition, you know how sigil crafting is sort of like one of many forms of magic, right? Right. Um, You can either practice just sigil crafting or you can practice another form of magic that has nothing to do with sigils. Um, In the Eastern tradition, by and large, any form of craft is going to, in some way, integrate sigil crafting, whether it's through the crafting of a seal or the actual talisman. So that's why, even though it is about talismans and the sigil, to know anything about Taoist magic, you have to master the sigil.
0: I cannot wait to learn more and you're referring to magic, you're using the word craft instead of magic, right?
1: Yeah, so there's so many reasons for that. I think the first one was, I felt like if I used the word magic, before we even get into the conversation I wanna talk about, which is what the book is about, I have to make a very strong argument and explanation and define what magic is. And I wasn't sure I was ready for that. And I felt like craft made more sense because It has to do with my active engagement craft is my practice craft is my study of this particular Area or or this particular field, right? So it doesn't we don't need to talk about magic We're talking about energy and my study and my actual work with the with the energy
0: And you are very serious about that when you say your study you are such a thorough researcher and this is partly why I became so fascinated with you because I ordered the metaphys I have a system that I use for my planner every year. I'm very nerdy about it. I don't like to deviate from it. But my friend Dawn got your metaphysical planner and she said, oh, have you have I think we were on the phone or something and she mentioned it to me and I was like, yeah, no, I have no idea what that is. And it kind of went in one ear and out the other, but I could hear she was excited. So she sent me a link. And I clicked on it, and I was buying that sucker before I even knew what happened. Because Uh-oh. you are so, like, deeply thorough in everything you do, and then you've been sending these follow-up emails to those of us <laughs> that bought the planner, like, yeah. ex- even going into more depth and how to use it. And I was just like, "Who is this woman? Who is she? I have to know more." <laughs> <Uh-oh>.
1: <laughs> so, hello. Oh, yes. Oh, good. You're there. <laughs> I'm still here. I was just like, oh, she's so sad. I didn't. I had nothing to say after that. Okay. Just okay. It's just but a it's... fact.
0: You are a thorough <laughs> researcher. And I also want to say, this is something I've really been wanting to ask you about. You are a corporate attorney. Yeah. Working in the field of venture capital. At, yeah. Right? And you are an independent metaphysician. Uh-huh. And you are an author. And you offer readings online. How are you doing all of this?
1: Uh, it's hard. I I don't sleep a lot. Um, I generally wake up and I start working around six thirty. Uh, I work throughout the entire day and I don't go to sleep until around two a.m. And I'm sure that's incredibly unhealthy. Uh, but I and also with my day planner, I'm definitely not plugging the day planner in any way, you know. But just and the idea of writing down, setting goals, and really staying on top of checklists is how I manage my schedule, you know, hour by hour. Yeah. So that's important to me.
0: You must have a lot of structure in your life.
1: Yeah, and there's good and bad. The good about having structure is that I I can get a lot done and I really feel organized. I know what's next up in my life. The negative is social interaction with people. <laughs> I, I know I tend to be kind of, um, like post fact, I know I can be really, uh, hard to deal with because if something is off schedule, you know, you know, you can't control what other people do, right? Yeah. So if something's late or something is not like on cue per my schedule, I get really antsy, and I tr- I've i tried to learn not to do that. But that that's one of my personal problems. I have to learn not to be antsy when other people, you know, have their own lives.
0: The shadow side of being deeply structured. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's definitely the shadow side. Yeah.
0: So. Benebel Wynn I totally screwed up your name by the way in my mega vlog I do a video at the top of every month and I was trying to pronounce your name and I made a total ass out of myself and then you sent an email out and you signed it Bell and I was like oh my god she just left me let me off the hooks so I was so excited that I could just call you Bell but Benebel Wynn uh-huh is a pseudonym
1: Yeah right? it is
0: So uh that made me start thinking because you're working as an attorney by day, presumably, and uh, an independent metaphysician and author by night, I'm going to guess. So, do, (laughs) Do you feel like you are living a double life in a way like you're a double agent or are there parallels like you is this does this feel holistic to you?
1: It doesn't feel holistic. And yes, you are living a double life. And it's just something I deal with. I I don't like it. It's not the ideal situation. Um, If the world was ideal in terms of how I wish the world was, I wouldn't have to do this. But um, based on past experiences, before I even came up with a pseudonym or wrote the book, being uh, an Asian female young attorney working in corporate law venture capital where it's, you know, my face isn't really what you normally see in neither the courtroom nor the boardroom. To really prove yourself, I already have to overcompensate, and I feel like to bring in any form of public spirituality is just going to obfuscate them out even worse. So I really want to try to keep it clear so that I could do my job in the daytime without interference, you know? And at the same time, you know, still pursue what I really, really wanted to pursue. So that's why I came up with the idea of the pseudonym. And plus, all of the cool people have, you know, pseudonyms. (laughs) Like, Atela, Eliphas Levy, Pappas, those are all pseudonyms. Even Mark Twain, O. Henry, Voltaire, you know, those are pseudonyms. Even today, Anne Rice, Anthony Burgess, Ayn Rand, Bell Hooks, Eckhart Tolle, you know, another spiritual author, he uses a pseudonym. So I was like, all right, I'm in pretty good company.
0: You impressed me so much. I think you're such a great <laughs> role model for women, I will say, um, for everyone, but women, especially just the possibilities you're tapping into so many of the possibilities for us. And I love that we have someone to look to in, uh, the magical community that way. And, uh, I'm really too interested in how maybe being attorney, I saw on Twitter this morning that you said you're writing a course on intellectual property law for I think tarot readers and entrepreneurs. So are you looking to maybe, I don't know if blend those worlds is the right thing to say, but are you finding that they're starting to influence each other or have they always?
1: Um, I think they've always influenced each other, so um, I, because when you are an attorney in venture capital where you're constantly working with many different personalities, um, it's a really incredible laboratory to test out various magical theories and to test out various intuitive ideas, so to speak, you know what I mean? Um, And so I really love using that as testing ground for a lot of my occult studies. I'll just leave it at that. And so I always find that to be interesting. And then um, when you go into business, anytime you go into business, forget um, esoteric or spirituality businesses, you really need to know intellectual property. And I find that there's just so much misinformation. And I've been very quiet. And I don't really talk about it. But just observing and analyzing how much misinformation is in the spiritual community about copyrights, trademarks, and even design patents, you know, the design aspect of patent law. I was like, well, maybe I want to put something together so that people can be a little bit clearer about what these various, you know, categories are.
0: We need that. We really, we, I mean, we haven't even... I say we as, like, a community in general haven't even embraced money. Like, the idea of making money, um, the shame we have around that, uh, much less getting into, like, the legalities of having an online business as whatever, a tarot reader or someone that does long-distance Reiki, anything like that. I think we really need a person like you in the community to yeah. ground us. I think we're a little. we get a little, like you know, we are woo woo, but we get so like up in the air. It's nice to to touch the ground sometimes as well. And we need it for our own safety, I think.
1: I think it's a really hard balance. So, I mean, for example, in the Eastern traditions, there isn't as much of an issue around money. It's pretty um, presumed that if you're going to go see a psychic or a witch doctor or a shaman, you're going to pay for it. You know, so I don't think there is that same stigma. Um, From what I've observed in the eastern cultures because it's presumed however at the same time There is also in the culture this idea that a lot of them are fraudulent And so you constantly have to battle this stereotype and the stigma that you're a fraud And so one way the easiest way that we think of to battle the stereotype that you're a fraud is to give it away for free And I mean that's a very dangerous slippery slope, but it's what we think of to prove that we're not a fraud, right? And so it's just so hard to to work with these various stereotypes and stigmas and still do what you do and make a living off of it.
0: Totally. I think some of that, too, like harkens back to these Abrahamic traditions that so many of us in the West grew up with. And these Mm -hmm. ideas that money is the root of all evil and it's harder for a rich man to get through the gates of heaven than it is for a camel to get through the Uh, eye of a needle. Oh, yeah. We grew up with that. So even though we may leave those religions behind in search of something more liberating, we still have that embedded in our psyches, I believe. And I think that has a lot to do with that shame around money in our community.
1: You know, the fascinating thing for like, if I'm just going to talk about my personal opinions is if you're talking strictly in terms of spirituality, and this applies across the board, even to doctors and lawyers, that's right. You know, money does does complicate a lot of things that should be more spiritual, holier than that, whatever you want to say. So in terms of idealistic, idealistically, should the entire society be one where we all give away our trade for free? So that you know, you scratch my back, I scratch yours. If I need a psychic reading, but I don't know how, I can go to you, Joanna. If you need legal advice, you can come to me and everything's free, but it's equal because you've got something and I've got something. Right. So I agree with that on this like crazy idealistic utopian level, but that's not the reality. Lawyers charge. Doctors charge, you know, even, you know, restaurants charge and so divinatory work is a valuable service And so it should be put on the same line and hierarchy as all of these other professions So why is it suddenly given this strange, uh, you know, exception to the rule that oh, well, but, but you you can't charge that? I don't really understand.
0: Right. Yes. Thank you for making that point <laughs> <laughs> um, So are you the first? I guess, speaking about Abrahamic religions and Western culture, you are American. You were born here. You were mm-hmm. raised here. Were your parents as well?
1: No, they came from Taiwan.
0: So so your parents are Taiwanese. Yes. And um, I just noticed so, so many... You're into a lot of Chinese things that I find are very interesting, feng shui and Taoism primarily, but you are Taiwanese. So I was wondering if you could just quickly give us the distinction um, or help us understand because it's it's very incestuous, but I know Taiwanese (laughs) is its own thing now. So can you help us understand that a little bit better?
1: So first, I want to make it clear: it depends on who you ask. So since you're asking me, I can only give my perspective, right? So that's really important to sort of get out of the way. Um, I think the distinction between Chinese and Taiwanese is a political one. It's a very important one because politics and socialism is imp- and social uh, social ideas are very important. But it's a social and it's a political idea that there's a difference between the Chinese and the Taiwanese, right? Mm-hmm. In terms of culture, what happened was the Hong Kong and Taiwan culture is actually a lot more, I don't know, if I would say authentic, but maybe preserved from the times of dynastic and imperial China. And that's because after communism set in in the mainland, um, it became a lot more atheistic and uh, science oriented which is the good thing it became more about being uh, scientifically progressive and so they felt in order to be scientifically progressive they needed to denounce and condemn all of the old traditions of their culture and so the first to go was taoism especially especially when you enter modern china it began really with the qing dynasty and then when communism set in that's really when you saw a lot of Chinese uh, landscapes change and become more modern and become more Western. So then, Hong Kong and Taiwan was able to preserve a lot of what old China looked like. So then, I use the word Chinese because that's that's what it is. You know, um, the Taoist tradition is native to China.
0: Right. Okay. Wow. <laughs> so it culturally, spiritually, it's all Chinese. And then it's just a political distinction. Do you, were your parents into feng shui or Taoism or anything like that? Or was it you like reaching out to try to tap into some ancestry or your roots? Why did you develop an interest in this?
1: It was very much in my family. So my father's godmother is this woman I refer to as a psychic nun. I don't know what else to call her. Um, she, well, she was a nun, um, but she's a nun in the Buddha, in a Buddhist sect. And she was just this woman that everybody went to for divination and, uh, for herbs. So, I mean, she really identified more, I guess, with the psychic side where she did divination. But if after the divination, you know, something wasn't very auspicious, you know, she'd give you prescriptions and the prescriptions were very magical in nature. Uh, my, Grandfather on my mother's side was an herbalist where he did traditional Chinese medicine. My mom likes to joke that he was engaged in, you know, the illegal practice of medicine. Because he didn't have a medical degree, but here he was like diagnosing people and like giving them herbs and stuff like that, you know. So, but basically, it was a form of a medicine man, you know. But it uh, it was in a at a confusing time when we were really leaving that culture of medicine men and into this into the realm of science and doctors, and you had obviously needed a license to be giving away medical diagnoses. So that got complicated. My mother is very much into Feng Shui. Um, In a lot of ways, she is a Feng Shui master, but she isn't. I think today we have. All of these weird institutions and certifications Um, in the culture that she's from, there wasn't necessarily this idea of oh, I need to get certified from this institute to become a Feng Shui master. It was just something that you learned, embedded into your culture or your family, and then everyone recognized that you were better at it than everybody else. So they went to you for help, and then sort of by default, you became a Feng Shui master.
0: You are pronouncing that in a way I have never heard before. Are you saying Feng? Say and not shui like <laughs> I've been saying it.
1: So the mainland. So if you speak proper Chinese, um, when you say water, so the word means wind water, right? And so, for example, how uh, feng shui is pronounced by my by my husband, who's mainland Chinese and speaks quote unquote proper Chinese, he'll add that r that shui. I can't even do it that shui sound, right? Um, I'm from southern Taiwan, and they have a very distinct dialect, and their pronunciation of Mandarin Chinese is totally different from mainland pronunciation of, uh, of, of uh, Mandarin Chinese. So I say feng sai because it's kind of got that Taiwanese twang to it. It's like speaking it with a southern accent versus a Yankee accent.
0: Gosh, I'm gonna stick to the Yankee accent so I don't feel like a total imposter because I've been saying it wrong. I guess feng shui, but um... no, that's
1: the correct one. So I actually, so technically speaking, I'm the one saying it wrong because it's like I'm saying a lot. Of this, you know, <laughs> right? Oh, I see. Okay, I see. Speaking it with our drawl—that's <laughs> kind of the difference. But I grew up in that, so I'm gonna say it with my drawl.
0: Nice. Okay, I like it. And I, if assuming the pictures on your website are of your own home, holy smokes, you are neat and tidy. So you definitely yes. practice, you practice what you preach.
1: Um, for every single room except for the room that I write in.
0: Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> so what do you have like an Einstein desk that's just covered in papers and all that?
1: Um, is its is that an Einstein desk? I don't know. But like,
0: oh, it's yeah, that's what I call it because, yes, he said, I can't remember the exact quote, but something about how. Yeah, I don't know. I'm going to screw it up. It's the mark of creativity. <laughs> I think he was just complimenting himself because his desk was a hot mess.
1: So it is a hot mess. And plus, the funny thing is, so I have three desks. Um, in my home office space because the first desk was just such a mess that it ended up falling to the floor. So the desk was the desk and parts of the floor. So I'm like, Oh, the solution to my problem is to get a second desk. So I got a second desk Then, then both desks were messy and then the floor. So I'm like, okay, if I get three desks, that will totally solve my problem. Three (laughs) desks are all messy and we still have shit on the floor. So it just, it doesn't matter how many tables I put in this room, it's just going to always be a hot mess.
0: That makes me feel so much better about myself. (laughs) Um, so your interest, I saw you talking about, I think on your bio page, which I recommend everybody reads your about page on your website, because, because like I said, you are really just such an interesting person and there's a lot to take in on just that page. But you were talking about growing up, you were like a book nerd and you were, um, you were the kid whose mom was like yelling at you for burning candles and incense and, uh, when did that strike? How did that strike? Like, were you kind of a loner or what What were you up to when you were a kid that way?
1: Um, I wasn't a loner. I definitely had a small circle of friends, I was not popular, but I had my friends. And so I never really felt ostracized because I lived in my own bubble within that high school landscape. Do you know what I mean? So I was, I, in my, in my worldview, I was okay because I had people I could trust and rely on. So that was cool. But you know, in the greater landscape of things, if somebody else was outside looking in, yeah, I was definitely an outsider, you know, mm. but I, from my perspective, I was like, just Blissfully happy in my own ignorance. You know, I didn't really need to have a lot of the other things that the people, you know, other cliques were into. Um, in my own little circle, ev- they were not into weird metaphysical stuff, but they knew I was. So they'd always, for birthday presents and Christmas gifts, they always knew to get me like, you know, voodoo dolls from Barnes and Noble. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I mean, I just don't know. Right. But, but right. You know what I'm talking about, though, right? Mm hmm. <laughs> yes, I do.
0: So the, you are reading about the occult, though, and all, very, yeah. you're very eclectic. I've noticed, like, there's a you pull from a lot of different traditions, even though there is this thread of what I would call Chinese magic, kind of like woven throughout everything you do. And I also saw you recently say that Taoism is eclectic, which I did not realize until you said that. Because, like I said, I'm I've just covered like the tip of the iceberg of what Taoism is because it's so vast. So where can you Uh talk a little bit about the eclecticism of Taoism or your own practice or how the two might meet?
1: Yeah, I can talk about both. One is the Taoist, uh, eclecticism and then the other is mine. So first in terms of Taoism, you know how you if you ask the question, what is Taoism? Everyone sort of laughs and says, I don't know. How do you define Taoism, right? And I found the same thing with the word paganism. What's pagan? How do you define paganism? And the reason it's so difficult to define both words is because of how eclectic the practice is and how much diversity is covered under this one singular umbrella right? And so with Taoism, you have, for example, the philosophical aspect of Taoism. Then you have the religious aspect, where some folk religions uh, will pray to a polytheistic pantheon, but they don't necessarily have an interactive relationship with the gods. Then you have this other prong of Taoism, which is Taoist magic or Taoist sorcery, where you would have an interactive uh, relationship and communion with various uh, deities from that pantheon. And that pantheon, what is even the Taoist pantheon? So if you're talking about Taoism in the north, it's gonna be very different from Taoism in the south. So uh, one example is one of the gods for the northern direction. So the, the deity that, that that controls the north direction or the north, uh, I don't know, you know, the, you know how you have the four guardians, the four directions yeah, yeah, for yeah, directional yeah. guardians and you have to call upon the four directions before you do any sort of ritual to set sacred space. Okay. And so the one for the north, if you're from the north, north actual part of China, it would be Bei Di. if, uh, you're from the south, a lot of times they use Xuan wu yeah, They're kind of, I mean, I would argue they're calling upon the same deity energy, right? And they very much uh, align with each other in terms of their profiles, but it's a totally different name. Um, there's that aspect of the eclecticism. And then there's also the side of bringing in esoteric mm-hmm. Buddhism. A lot of Taoist traditions and sects going back to, I would say, at least the Han dynasty. Uh, they incorporate, for example, Guan Yin, um, Amitabha Buddha, amitofo. A lot of the Buddhist Buddhas and bodhisattvas from the Buddhist pantheon, they incorporate into their magical work. And then, even now, today, especially since evangelical Christians have been doing missionary work in China for so long now, since like thousands, at least a thousand years, uh, because of that, you also have some sects. Of Taoist magical practice that will incorporate, for example, Mother Mary or Jesus Christ. That's very much in the minority, though. So I want to make it clear that is extremely in the minority, but there but it does exist. So that's why I say it's eclectic. Um, as for me, I, I don't see what I do as eclectic. What I see what I do as is somebody who likes to um, spot patterns and I'm really more interested in the core energy or the core thing that is, um, Uh the undercurrent. Can you
0: repeat that really quick? I heard you say, um, you're not eclectic and you're interested in patterns, but then (laughs) Skype decided to like mess with you there for a second. Oh, I'm so
1: sorry. Okay. So what I was saying was, uh, you know, I don't see what I do as being eclectic. I see what I do more as being someone who likes to observe how other people use certain vocabulary words to describe their observations of the same thing that somebody from a different culture is observing. Mm-hmm. and so where I find those lines of unity and um, concurrence I like to uh, uh, draw in the vocabulary from both worlds because that's what feels right to me I don't know if it's eclectic because um, they fit so perfectly with each other and it's just you know one person calls it Tao, one person calls it Chi, another person calls it mana or you know some people refer to this as the collective unconscious other people refer to it as the Akashic records but in my worldview, we're all speaking about the same thing. And so I try to look at that one underlying same thing.
0: Yes. Okay. So you're saying this far more articulately than I have in the past or than I probably ever will. But I went on a similar path myself coming from a Christian background. And then I moved into just dabbling in things, you know, Buddhism and Taoism and Mm -hmm. lots of new agey things, Law of Mm -hmm. attraction really stuck with me, and then moving on to witchcraft. But I I kept noticing the similarities in things and that the core of... It's interesting that people, uh, you know, religious wars, people fight over what they believe is the truth, but at the core of them all seems to be a truth they have in common. And I think you just said that really well.
1: I think one of the largest mistakes a lot of people in both the spiritual and religious communities make is um, if you identify as one religion and uh, religion A and I identify as religion B, the first inclination for us to do is begin listing the differences between you and I. And that just sort of drives us farther apart. If you're looking for synergy and you're looking for union and unity, then if you say you're religion A and I'm religion B, the true exercise to take is for us to start listing the similarities. And when we take that route, we find that we have a lot more in common than we have in disagreement. And the parts that we have in disagreement are often in logistics or very culture and society and experiential based so i think that's what i try to do instead of looking at the differences between the various cultures or religions i look for the similarities and then i really latch onto those similarities
0: that is awesome that is a mess uh lesson for life across the board <laughs> in my opinion <laughs> can't we all just get along i think all paths lead to god and yeah. I, I say god in a very yeah. loose way the universe source yeah. energy whatever you want to call it but i think it helps to have a tradition it's like so beyond our understanding as human beings i think that we just by necessity have to break it down to just try to understand a teeny little piece of it you know so we all have these teeny little pieces pieces of it but we're looking at the same we're looking at the same source just through different lenses is the way that i see it
1: yeah absolutely absolutely
0: yeah. And you are hella smart woman. So smart. But what I really, what I found so charming about you and reading your emails, especially, but now that I've been around your website is you have this very charming, self depreciating sense of humor that you, <laughs> that like pops out here and there. And, um, I don't know if that is to make people more comfortable because you know that you're hella smart and the rest of us are <laughs> like, Oh my God. <laughs> um, Or if that's just a part of who you are, it comes off as very bubbly, very charming. But I want to give an example for people who have not been to your website. There's a picture of you with pink hair. And you say under the picture, because everybody knows that serious metaphysicians must have pink hair. No pink hair equals not legit.
1: (laughs) Well, I wanted to put the pink hair photo because I really liked that picture. But then I was like, well, how can I put this picture on this website and justify why this picture belongs on this website? And so <laughs> I just made shit up.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, wh- where does that sense of humor come from? Do you feel like it's your sort of defense mechanism to ease people into being comfortable around you? Or is it just just it's always been there. It's just who you are.
1: Probably a little bit of both, you know, I think it's, it's my natural go-to way of connecting with people. So it is something that's, uh, who I am, but probably you're, you're, you're spot on that. It probably has to do with just trying to get everyone on the same page and making people feel like they can connect with me.
0: Yeah. I use humor that way a lot to make people, make people comfortable and be like, I don't take myself so seriously and we can laugh and, (laughs) Uh, I totally understand that. But I will say when you were talking about eclectic Taoism, I was just like, oh, my God, information overload. I'm going to have to lo- I'm going to have to like listen back to this after uh, it's all said and done to totally grasp everything that you're talking about. Uh, did you come from I know a lot of Chinese families, there's an emphasis or I shouldn't say I know, I think <laughs> that cliche is there's an emphasis on education and um, maybe that's just, a, is that just the Asian thing or is that cause I know Japanese people are like that as well, but, um, did you grow up like that with the emphasis on education and academics? How did you become a lawyer?
1: Oh yeah, there was definitely an emphasis on education, but I think my, so my mom and dad, it really, I have to pay tribute to the fact that they themselves were so different from each other. They of course both emphasize education. You know, you'd emphasize education. I emphasize education. But my father was a lot more austere. He was. He, he is a scientist. He's a physicist. So he's very much about um, academic excellence. My mom is crazy. She likes to. Well, I, not she likes to. I feel that's always not nice to say. But in her world, and she believes that she can see dead people. And she believes that she can traverse to other realms and come back with messages from the dead. And so, I mean, that's enough said, right? If you have someone with that kind of an ideology, you're going to be living a very different family structure. And so even though they emphasized education, she was very open-minded. As you could probably guess, anybody who's into sort of the woo-woo and the spiritual communities, they tend to be very progressive, tolerant, and open-minded and outside of even the ridges, ridges of their own culture. So she she operated outside of the ridges of her own culture, and I was given a lot of room to be different.
0: Okay, this explains so much. So you sort of were <laughs> like, you got the best of both worlds there, it sounds like. Got- I
1: had, oh my God, I, w- I was so privileged. I really got the best of both worlds.
0: Yes, yeah, that's why I think you're a role model, because I think uh, for a lot of us, we don't grow up with that kind of head start in life, you know, our parents, parents that make us feel valuable, let's say. Um, and so we go through our twenties sort of like fumbling around in the dark and who am I? And, you know, all these crises of personality. And, and then we see someone like you, who's like gone all the way in school and has a super kick-ass career. And, oh yeah, her side gig is being a published author. And, um, a really prolific I keep saying independent metaphysician (laughs) because I keep wanting to come back around to that because you do define that on your website but it's nice to see somebody that is just sort of in the flow of life and enjoying themselves and participating as much as possible because for a long time I could not do that like I was so busy like navel gazing and trying to figure myself out and trying to get my shit together I'm very much a late bloomer so it's exciting to see the possibilities in someone else who is not going through that. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it, it gives you yeah. a standard, like, okay, that's possible. Like, how, that's do, I, so, yeah, how, do, I, how do I get there? <laughs>
1: It's so heartbreaking for me to hear now that I connect to more people. I guess I really did live in a privileged bubble in terms of having these many clashing, seemingly clashing ideologies actually work in harmony because they were, after all, a happily married couple. Uh, So I I was really lucky where um, you know, I was pushed toward academic rigor, but at the same time, if I had a weird dream, she would really want me to take it to the next level and figure out what that means, or she would take me to see various psychics and spiritual teachers, or she'd force me to go meditate for three hours when I was just a small child. All of these things um, were part of my childhood. And. If I had strange intuitive hits, that was taken very seriously. Um, you know, usually if I if you wake up and the child says, oh, I had a weird dream, you know, parents, oh, that's nice. Now go eat your breakfast. My mom would stop what she was doing, sit down, look at me with bug eyes and say, what did you dream about? Wow. You know, and so being validated and being able to be taken seriously at a very young age enables that to flourish.
0: Hmm. Yeah. What does your husband think about all this? Does he have a similar belief system, or is he just like, yeah, there's my wife, being all woo-woo? <laughs> um, he's,
1: he's actually mainland Chinese. So he grew up in, he was born into, and then he grew up in communist China. So that's where I understand the atheistic background. And he has this very strong aversion to the metaphysical. But uh, he and I have been together for now over 13 years um, he's seen enough from me and my family to say, okay, well, I guess there's just a big question mark. I'm not going to say that there's these spirits or there's all this, all of these things or past lives and reincarnation, but I will say that you know it's a big question mark and science has not caught up to a lot of what you guys know, is mm-hmm. what he will confess.
0: Yeah, that gets me a little ahead of myself because I do want to circle back on this idea of being an independent metaphysician. Mm-hmm. Uh, and why you chose that label, which is very amusing. People can just go to your About page to read that as well, but I want to talk about it. But you said science, and I also wanted to ask you about, um, I did read as much as I could for free of your, <laughs> of your books on Amazon, the preview that's available, and I uh-huh. love that Holistic Tarot, uh, it really starts with you saying tarot is a science of mind. Yeah. That, like, really grabbed me. Um, I'm such a head case anyways. I love all things intellectual. I'm an air sign and I very much live up in my mind, which plus oh. why I was saying the necessity for grounding. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, can you expand on that a little bit? Why, why tarot is a science of mind?
1: Um, well, I guess you can't say that it's science in the terms of it's provable through what we have established as the scientific method but i don't think the scientific method as the scientific community has established it is the best methodology for understanding all of the sciences that exist in our universe And so um, since we don't have the scientific language, how many times can I say science in a sentence? Um, (laughs) Since we don't have that language yet in that sort of left brain community, we have to look at what's going on in the, uh, I guess you can just say metaphysical or spiritual communities to see what they're doing. And that usually is what spearheads scientific innovation. You look at, I always say, you, you look at alchemy coming before chemistry and astrology coming before astronomy. And even for, I just yesterday I was doing a talk talking about how um, for the longest time from the Emerald tablet, we talked about as above, so below as this sort of governing theory, theoretical law that... Um, theory that 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 is why magic works why we can do what we do how divination works right as above so below is this concept that's very much ingrained in esoteric traditions and just now scientists are looking at Figuring out a universal body of law that governs both the galaxies and the earth, that governs both uh, the brain neuron and the universe, and you know that something that is the brain circuit is the same law that governs what is the uh, uh, social networks and the internet. And so these are real... Uh, scientific explorations that they're doing now, and you can read about them in the journals, and this is something that has always been part of the esoteric traditions, right? And so I think it's important to sort of have both work hand in hand, and that's why I kind of see tarot as a science of the mind.
0: Yeah, I get that. When you were explaining that, I was thinking too of As Within, So Without. I was thinking of um, Paul Stamets work with the uh, mycelium running, like how really mushrooms are covering our planet and um they're interconnected like where we can't see it it's underground but he talks about that as the original like internet um mm-hmm. and you mentioned social i think social media or the internet or something in my mind immediately went there because i think nature is a template for everything it's for who we are and that as above, so below, as within, so without. We can look to science that's already been done, like the science on the mycelium and maybe contemplate how that's reflected within our own minds.
1: Yeah, and even that concept, like the idea behind as above, so below, you know, as without, as within, as within, as without, it's in Taoism as well, the concept of inner alchemy and outer alchemy, and it's it's very much ingrained in pretty much any esoteric tradition you're going to look into across all civilizations, they just use different vocabulary.
0: Fascinating. Okay, so let's talk about independent metaphysician as a title, because it's a mouthful, and... um... (laughs) And I have a feeling you probably had a hard time putting a title to what it is that you do because, because you do a lot. Uh, why independent metaphysician?
1: Um, it, well, why is the, is the best thing I could come up with. I can't come up with anything better than that. Um, I, I just didn't know how to identify what I did, you know. Um, so that sort of is a very generic term that you can't really argue with, you know what I mean? Like if I say witch, if I say sorcerer, if I say ceremonial magician, we get into a lot of uh, discursive conversations. And I think independent metaphysician, who can argue with that? (laughs) It's so generic and so like blah that, okay, if that's what she is, that's what she is, (laughs) so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and
0: you're not connected to, the independence has to do with not being connected to any what?
1: Traditions, right. right? Yeah. um, So that's another thing. I I don't want people to think that I speak for uh, orthodox Taoist uh, magical lineages because there are a whole bunch of them. And I I go into exhaustive detail about the history and the cultural legacies of Taoist magical traditions in, in China. And since I don't, I'm not part of any of those, I want to make it very clear. I'm speaking about it more from an outsider observing these various lineages than, you know, somebody who's, oh, I'm, I don't want to say I'm some sort of a master or teacher, which I see a lot of people do, even though they're not. And so I want to make it very clear where I was coming from. So basically I wanted it to be a full disclosure.
0: Right. I saw something interesting. I can't remember where, but it was, um, You were talking about appropriation and you made a distinction between you know approaching let's say like a westerner learning um food talismans Mm -hmm. approaching it with a kind of reference reverence and -hmm. respect versus just you know having it be decorative can you expand on that a little bit for anybody who's listening and is like yeah but i'm just like a white girl from the south is it okay for me to even like pick up a book on Taoism? Like what is what are what are the spiritual laws going on here?
1: Wow. So I don't even think they're spiritual laws. I think they're social and right. civil. I think a lot of, you know, you have to really talk to different people. Everybody will have a different opinion on this. I try to take it from the perspective of a spiritual um, vantage. And I just think that if I it's kind of like, for example, why I believe Even though I'm not Muslim, if I'm going to be talking about it and I can talk about it and I can depict various aspects and relics of that, I should and need to do it in an informed way. Number one, I have to be informed. And number two, in a way where I genuinely and authentically have the same level of veneration as those who grew up in that culture. And so I see that with food talismans as well. If you understand it as being something that's spiritual and is part of your spiritual practice, then it's not cultural appropriation in my view. I think it becomes cultural appropriation when you take take it out of its context. The context of food talismans is spiritual in the sense that it's magical, right? And if you say, "Oh, I'm going to put these," I'm going to create a logo for a fashion company with food talismans because it looks cool and it's really cute. I think that would um, be troublesome. But if it's part of your magical practice, I just I, I don't see that as being cultural appropriation at all.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. Thank you for saying that. Uh, I I have a feeling that I am just at the beginning of what is going to be a long love affair with your work. And now I feel this need to like, oh my God, I have to catch up with all the things. I have to read both the books because I got wind of, you have a third book coming out, don't you? Or you're working on it?
1: Yeah, just working. Yeah.
0: Holy smokes, woman. We all need to catch up. Like your blog is so fast. And uh, these books look so fascinating. I can't wait to dive in. What do you have coming down the pipeline next that people can look forward to if not that book?
1: um Why is that
0: book the thing that we should all be looking forward to
1: well right now it's been so i'm mired with readings right now like doing so i you know i read professionally and so i've been really my schedule is booked you know with that and so it's been really hard to work on my personal stuff so i'm trying to see if i can find the light at the end of this reading tunnel and then kind of close that off so i can focus on some of my projects but um, i'm really interested right now in putting together um, online courses and uh, getting into that Um, I, i find that i want to work with multimedia rather than just writing it in a book Um, but I do want to continue publishing. So uh, hopefully the third book will be finished in the next few years.
0: Do you have a a newsletter? I, I just ended up on an email list because I got your metaphysical planner. Is there a newsletter that people can sign up for to try to keep up with you?
1: Oh, so the metaphysician thing isn't actually a newsletter. It was just I, I I just send an email. I send mass emails to everyone who ordered the book right? so that they can, you know, kind of I feel like day planners, if you don't have this sort of discipline with it from a small from a young age, it's sometimes hard to navigate. Do you know what I mean? Like you can't just one day wake up and decide to be organized, structured and disciplined. It does take a little bit of tweaking, nurturing and just seeing how other people do it before you can figure out your own system. And so I wanted to really help people with that so that they didn't buy, I didn't want them to waste 25 bucks. I wanted them to get the book and then actually feel like they, um, that every penny was worth it. And so I kind of give them like, Hey, look, this is how you can use it. Um, I do have a newsletter through MailChimp. Um, and that one gets super personal. I talk about like my various experiments and dabblings and things like that.
0: Well, where do we, how do we get hooked up with that?
1: Um, if you go to the about page and you scroll all the way down, I think there should be something that says sign up for the newsletter and then you can sign up there.
0: Oh my gosh. Well, (laughs) man, I'm putting in my request right now. You need to make that more prominent because I totally would have been on your newsletter by now. I, I love getting your emails and I get a lot of people, this bugs me. I don't like when people sign me up to their newsletter without permission. That drives me insane. (laughs) Uh Um, Um, so I get a lot of newsletters that I'm always unsubscribing to, um, because people just add me to their list without asking. But, uh, and even the ones that I have signed up for, I just don't have the time often to read. But if I get an email from you, I am opening that sucker the second it crosses my path and loving every second of it because it is so thorough and so interesting. There's always something to learn when you get an email from Bell. So, uh, yeah, people go scroll around and find that newsletter or subscription, and we better tell them the URL.
1: Uh, BennettBellwen.com. B-E-N-E.
0: bellw dot ncom That's right. That's right. Okay, people. Well, thank you so much for doing this today, especially considering your busy schedule, and um, yeah. Until- thank you so much for having me. <laughs> yeah, I hope I get the chance to talk with you sometime in the future. Maybe when your next book comes out. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That'd be great. Okay, well, much love to you. Much love to everybody
1: listening. Peace. Peace. 18 plus.